Hello, this is Dale Scott, retired Major League umpire, and you're listening to Level Playing Field. Welcome back to my podcast. This is Level Playing Field. I'm your host, Randy Boos. This is my podcast where I interview out athletes and sports personalities. Before I get to this episode, I want to go over a few quick things. When I first started this podcast, I wanted to have each episode be under an hour. That was just my goal I had in my head. Since I started, I've gotten longer and longer. I love a good story, and I love hearing my guests tell their story. I'm going to try to shrink that, though, so after this episode, look for shorter episodes under one hour. That being said, I'm still going to have some content I want to share, so I'm going to start using my YouTube channel that I have, Level Playing Field, on YouTube, and um, I'm going to start posting some extra content there, and I'm also going to be posting... The final 15 questions I ask each guest, I'm going to post them over there as well. One final thing for the business of the podcast, I'm hoping to get more listeners. So if you can help share my podcast, retweet it, share it on Facebook, if you like it. If you like it, rate it on iTunes. That helps as well. And if about the business of the podcast, let's get on to this episode with retired Major League umpire, Dale Scott. Enjoy. Um, thank you, Dale, for coming on to my podcast. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I am so interested in hearing your stories in baseball. Um, definitely, it's different hearing from an umpire instead of a player or manager. So it's really cool to talk to you. <laughs> well, you know, from the umpire, you're going to hear what, what actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you into sports as a kid? Um, yes, I was into sports. My body wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I I uh, I loved baseball. Growing um, up, I don't know what it was, but I that's what that was it. That was the uh, the, the attraction. You know, I, I wasn't a big basketball guy. I liked watching football, but I I and we played uh, some of the neighborhood kids and stuff. We'd you know on Saturdays we'd get a game together or whatever. But I I never ever even seriously thought about uh, uh, trying to play football. But the baseball I did, and I played from about uh, I'm guessing about fourth grade. Uh, third or fourth grade until uh, until uh, at the end of my eighth grade year because uh, back then in Eugene the, the the schools the high schools were were uh, three year high schools and and you had uh, instead of middle schools you had junior high so uh, after my ninth grade year which was you know freshman year but I was still in junior high that was the last year I, I played baseball organized baseball because once I got into high school there was either the varsity. Or the JV, and quite frankly, I was about four levels below that. I loved the game, and I was trying to figure out, you know, how can I stay involved in the game? I, my playing day, I was, you know, I, I just had to face up to the fact that I couldn't run, hit, throw, or field. So I, so I thought, well, you know what? Um, a friend of mine had a year older than me uh, had umpired uh, the the summer before, and he he said, you know, you should try that. He goes, it's a, you make some extra money, and uh, you know, it's kind of fun, and and. You know, when I played, or really lack of playing, I, I watched the umpires a little bit because I was on the bench a lot. And I remember they all had like different uh, kind of different uh, personalities and stuff. And also when you when you see them on television, so I thought, you know what, that that sounds kind of fun. I'm I'm 15. I'm too young to coach, even you know, even if I 
you know, I, not that I'd be a good coach, but I thought that's that's something that that would be uh, interesting. And I, I started doing it. In fact, you're supposed to be 16, and I uh, my birthday's in August, so I uh, pleaded with uh, Ken Larson, the commissioner of officials there in Eugene, and uh, and he said, all right, uh, we'll give you a shot. And I, I just. Uh, I immediately loved it. I, I, it was such a challenge. Every game was a challenge. Every game was different, even though it's the same game of baseball. I, you, you saw things different. You, you, you know, the uh, strange plays, or, or you know, just a lot of stuff goes on at those levels because the kids are, 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 are learning and stuff. But it just was such a challenge to me, and I really enjoyed it. So when you were starting out at fifteen, sixteen, umpiring, obviously, you know, sexuality plays a part in a teen's life. Were you also dealing with that as you were starting what eventually would be your new profession? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, you know, when you start, when you start reaching puberty, that 12, 13 or whatever, things, uh, things started to look differently and you start feeling differently. And, and I just remembered that, that it was just natural for me. For example, I, I'll never forget. I was, uh, with my dad and my and his brother, my uncle, uh, I was about uh, 13 on a deer hunting trip in eastern Oregon, a little town called Burns, Oregon. We were stopped, and there was a crosswalk, and uh, going across the crosswalk was this uh, uh, probably, they're probably in their early 20s, uh, male and a female. And my uncle, uh, kind of, I was in between, you know, my dad's driving, and my uncle's on the passion, I, I'm, it's a, a cab pickup, and he kind of taps my arm and goes, look at her she's she's really good looking and i'm looking right at the guy going yes she is <laughs> you know and that that to me it just was natural but i also you know was smart enough to know that i couldn't voice that at that time um and i didn't really you know i didn't really understand it i just knew that's what it i i didn't fight it i didn't think uh that i was that i was weird or something i just knew that i was different from what the norms are in society and so i better uh, like i like to call it you know play the game and and uh and you know not let that secret out but it never internally i always thought that's i mean that was just a natural thing for me to do and so that's when i really started uh, noticing that uh my uh, thought process is a little bit different in that category was, you know, you know, when I was like 11, 12 years old. So I like to bring up pop culture um, references when you're what late seventies, mid seventies, maybe soap was on and Billy yeah. Crystal played the gay character. Yeah. I don't know if you watched the show and obviously you were a little bit older. Um, well, but what does that character mean? Did you watch it because of him or? You know, it's funny. That was a show that I never really watched. But I remember, um, I'm trying to think, I, I'm thinking, I don't remember when that was exactly. I must, maybe it was in junior, I don't remember. But, but I never really watched the show. I saw some clips of it or whatever. But I do remember uh, definitely the buzz about the show and the talk about the show um, and how it was, uh, you know, bringing up the quote unquote taboo subjects and, you know, gay characters and that kind of stuff. And that interests me uh, because I was I was curious as to how that was going to be portrayed. But it's for whatever reason, that that time of uh, in my life, I was, you know, I think it was in high school or early high school or something because I was, you know, there was something going on every night. I was, you know, I was a band, I was a band. I was, uh, do I started my radio stuff um, in high school. Um, it just, I just didn't watch a lot of TV in general. You mentioned radio. What, how did you get involved in radio? 
Well, you know, um, the game of baseball was always number one uh, from when I was a little kid. And from about really about sixth grade, uh, I don't know, was that 11 years old, maybe something like that. I started listening, uh, I think for Christmas or something, I got a radio and, uh, um, and I was listening to a top 40 station there in Eugene, uh, K-A-S-H, Cash Radio, and uh, 1600. Um, and I just, um, I, 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 the disc jockeys, you know, I just, uh, I thought that was so cool. And by eighth and ninth grade, I was doing reports on radio. I was, I was, I was, I did, I really wanted to do this. When I, my sophomore year at Sheldon, the, when high school, that, that was when I had a first chance to actually be on the radio. And I took that, that course. And I, again, I loved it. I just, uh, I, I thought it was so much fun and, and uh, so different. And I actually scored my uh, professional, you know, my commercial station after my junior year that summer. I just, uh, right across the street from the high school and about a half a block down, was the number one top 40 station in, in Eugene, KBDF, 1280. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to walk in there. It's summertime. Maybe I can get a summertime job, you know, anything, sweeping the floors. I just wanted to be in there and learn and, and soak everything up. And it, it, as luck would have it, I, I and I had this... Uh, you know, a background in the in the in the high school um, radio stuff. But I had you know I had tapes I could do, I brought in of, of shows that I did on KRVM. Well, it, it was luck to have it. They said we uh, we need a part time guy for Sunday mornings to play the uh, public service announcement, uh, like half hour shows and religious shows that are, that are at that time mandated by the uh, FCC. And so. I walked in hoping to, you know, sweep floors or something, and and think I was probably just going to get kicked out and laughed at. The next thing you know, on on believe it or not, July fourth, nineteen seventy six, bicentennial was my first job, uh, day on the job. Really? It was a Sunday, and my shift. What a shift! My shift was was uh, uh, three to six in the morning. <laughs> um, but I was thrilled. I was absolutely thrilled. And I all all three hours, all I did was play. I, I was never on the air, but I was, you know, I was playing these half-hour shows. That happened. That went on for one week, Fourth of July, nineteen seventy-six. Midweek, I got called, and they said we're we're, we're switching stuff up. Uh, your your new shift is going to be Sunday morning uh, at three a.m. And you'll be off at nine, six hour shift. But the first hour and a half, three to four thirty, you're on the air. It's you playing music and everything. Then four thirty, you start playing the tapes and stuff. And then at uh, at six o'clock, uh, uh, or yeah, when it was six or whatever, I st- I would play uh, Casey Kasem, American Top Forty. So at this point, then umpiring is just a little hobby for you to have, and you're thinking you're going to go into radio career. Yes. Um, the umpire part was, you know, a great uh, side job that I, I, I <laughs> trust me when I tell you, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to go to the big leagues. You know, I, that wasn't even in my thought process. I thought maybe if I do good, you know, do well at this, um, I guess work some college ball and stuff when, you know, when I graduated and, and, and work, you know, semi-pro or whatever. But, um, but I did. All I did know was I. I really enjoyed both those jobs. I enjoyed the radio job, and I enjoyed umpiring. It's funny. Um, I would, as 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 you, you know, like my second year um, at the radio station. I, I was now KBDF personality Dale Scott, and so I would. I would uh, sometimes uh, like junior highs, or even high schools would hire a KBDF disc jockey. 
uh, for their dance on Friday night. And I would umpire a baseball game in the afternoon, uh, Spencer View Junior High, and then that night I was uh, KBD personality Dale Scott playing their music. And it, it was so funny. I, I remember that a couple of the players, uh, you know, they saw me and they looked up and they, <laughs> one guy he points at me and goes, hey, that's the dude that struck me out today. <laughs> so, so they started calling me the umpire with the golden voice. And I would show up at games and they'd go, hey, what is it? It's the KBDF this guy. It, 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 was a, it was a funny uh, dichotomy there because you had an umpire who nobody likes and they yell at and, you know, and, and he's, he's the bad guy. And you would have a, a top 40 radio disc jacket that, that uh, you know, all the top 40, you know, junior high, high school listeners just thought we were, you know, I mean, disc jockeys were cool, you know, and, and uh, so I, I was I was a double, kind of a double life of my straight and gay life and a double life of my, uh, my uh, umpire and uh, DJ life. It was, it was a lot of fun. I had, I had a great time all through the, the late 70s going through high school and then a couple of years of college. So you mentioned, you know, your double life. You're doing the radio, you're doing umpiring. And at this point, obviously, you're still in the closet, I take it? Oh, yeah. Um, I, uh, I knew, I knew, uh, you know, I, it, it, you know it's, it's, it's really funny, Randy. I never really put a label on stuff. Like I said earlier, it was just natural for me to have attractions to to guys and I again I knew it wasn't something that I could I could voice or talk about or you know I'd be ridiculed and laughed at and run out of the way but so I knew the the society uh, you know rules on that but I also knew you know within myself that this wasn't you know this wasn't something that that I thought was, oh, it's awful. You can't do that. It was just, it was absolutely natural for me. Uh, just like uh, somebody that's left-handed, it's natural for them to, to write with their left hand. They don't think about it. They just do it. And, and you know, so I, I, I knew that, but I, I didn't really put a label on it. I, 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 I just thought, well, this is me, and I, you know, maybe I'm naive or whatever. And it wasn't until, and, th and then you got to understand the context of, of the times, in the late 70s, it was kind of cool to be bi, you know. <laughs> For a while, it was like, you know, disco's playing, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's bi. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. So, you know, I thought, well, oh, that's it. I must be bi, you know. I had a girlfriend uh, through high school. Um, you know, frankly, because I didn't know how to, how to meet guys, uh, uh, you know, in, in, a, in any kind of a romantic way or whatever. But, um, you know, it was just, uh, it was about when I was 19, it was like a light went on. I just went, wait a minute, Dale. It's like I looked in the mirror. I said, you're not, you're not bi. You're gay, dude. You're gay. Okay. So now what are you going to do about it? And, you know, as a, as an official, you don't see a lot of nuance. It's either out or safe. All or strike. You can't, th you can't just start overthinking things because we need a decision. We need it now, you know? And, and it was, I, I kind of approached it the same way. I just thought, <clears throat> all right, now that I know what I am and, you know who I am. How are you going to react to that? How are you going to how how are you going to deal with this? And I knew that there, I just could not look myself in the mirror for the rest of my life and lie to myself and lie to other people and get into a a marriage and have kids or or whatever, all because you know I, I'm I'm going to hide this fact about me. 
I knew there'd be challenges in, 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 in not being outed or it could be, you know, affect my job or it could affect, you know, family or friends or whatever. So I, I knew I couldn't be outward and, and, and to talk about, it, but I also knew I'm not going to lie to myself. I might have to lie or fib or play little games, um, you know, with people I love and, and, and I'm around, but I'm not going to do it to myself. And, and, uh, it really just gave me clarity. And then, and that was in 79, I turned 20, uh, just a few weeks after this, uh, epiphany. <laughs> so now, and so now we're going into the eighties and, and, uh, I was, uh, I just, uh, finished my two year degree in, uh, television broadcasting at, at a community college there. I was working full time at the radio station. Uh, that's when I went to umpire school. That's when uh, a friend uh, had, who umpired also and had gone to umpire school a couple of years earlier. He didn't get a job out of it, but he said, Dale, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty good at this. You should go to umpire school. Uh, you know, yeah, you could get a job out of it, but that's the, the odds of that are, are, are pretty low. But what you will do is you'll learn so much about this profession, about umpiring. It, it's a, it's a five week, eight to 12, sometimes 14 hour day, six days a week, intensive, almost boot camp type um, uh, setting where you're, you're crunching the rules, dissecting every, every word in the rule book, and you're, and you're out there, you're calling pitches from pitching machines uh, constantly. You're setting up, setting up situations on the diamond, uh, you know, runners at second, third, uh, you know, two outs or whatever, so, and then, you know, learning the uh, two-man umpire system. And, uh, you know, you, I, I thought I was a decent umpire going to umpire school. I didn't realize that, you know, they have, they're teaching umpires down to, to steps. You, you start with your left foot because if you start with your right foot, you're going to have to take two more steps to square off and you don't have time to square off uh, in a two-man system on a pickoff play or whatever. This is stuff I never, you know, I never thought of. It was never told to me and it was uh, not in my mind. But that's how precise you learn the two-man system in, at umpire school. And that's, and, and it was really, if, if it's a, if it's a you know, vocation that you, that you have a passion for, if you can, you know, if you can afford it, and if you can take the time, uh, umpire school is uh, is really, really uh, just beneficial. But silly me, I, w- I went and got a job out of it. <laughs> so yeah, so when you'd go to umpire school, you just take a break from your radio job since it was full time, or yeah, yeah. So I I, I was full time, and and uh, I told them six months out, uh, umpire school uh, at, for for me there was a. Uh, two schools in Florida, and then there was one in uh, San Bernardino, California, and that was one I was going to. And that one started the day after Christmas. My class, which started uh, December 26, 1980, was uh, 27 students, and the, the Florida schools had about 110 each or so. Oh, wow. The two schools. I told uh, about six months out, maybe maybe a little longer, because that summer of, of 1980, during the baseball season in, in Eugene, I said, I want to I want to uh, try to work more games. I want to cut back on my schedule if I can, because I want to, you know, I want to be prepared for umpire school. I always knew that, um, you know, I was, my thought process was I'd go to umpire school. I'd learn everything you can about umpiring. I would move up in the ranks locally in Oregon, uh, division one and, 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 and have a fun, you know, umpire, amateur umpire career, uh, that way. And I would stay in radio. I could do both. And I would stay in radio and, 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 and work up, you know, maybe bigger market, Portland, maybe Seattle, who knows, San Francisco, who knows. Um, and, and that was the goal, you know, that was my thought process. And you always knew at umpire school, in the back of your mind, you knew that someone's going to get jobs out of it. There's going to be so many jobs out of this. And you knew that 
you know, you you certainly were one of the people trying to get that, but it it was it was uh, really just kind of kind of out there. I just didn't really think that would ever happen. And uh, so the, the radio station, they they said, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, you know well, of course, you know they thought he's coming back. There's no way, <laughs> there's no way he's going to go and get a job out of this. Which basically I was thinking the same thing too. But uh, so I had that to fall back on, and and you know that gave me the confidence to go and. Um, they took at the San Bernardino school, they took the top, they have, they have a one week advanced school for all three schools, the top students, all three schools go to, and at that time, Bradenton, Florida and I, the San Bernardino school, only five, only the top five were going to that because there's only 27 students. And, uh, I finished fifth. What, what does that mean when they tell you, okay, we want you to go to Florida? Well, to, to get one of those five spots was so coveted in that school. And I, you know what, what was funny about this? It's a five-week school. About the, I don't know, second sometime during the second week. Yeah, we've been there a week and a half, almost two weeks, um, and almost halfway. I started looking around and sizing up. You know, the twenty-seven people there. There was there was probably there's probably about seven or eight, maybe maybe ten of the twenty-seven that had no chance at it. And, and some of them didn't go to, I mean, we had a, we had a guy, an insurance salesman from Alaska who at that time, I think was in his, uh, uh upper forties, maybe might've been in his early fifties. He, and that, and that happens every year at umpire school. You, you get people, you get, like I said earlier, you get umpires that just have a passion for the, for the vocation. And, they, and it's almost like a fantasy camp for them, you know, mm-hmm. to go and learn, uh, and with, you know, to, to, to make it into professional baseball in the minor leagues from umpire school, there's a it's a it's a pretty small window. You you need to go to umpire school between the ages of 18 and 28, maybe 30 tops. Because once you get past that, because the way the system's set up, if if you went into the minor leagues at 31, 32, odds are you're going to be in. If you went all the way, which is a big if, but if you went all the way to the big leagues, you're probably going to be in the in the minor leagues anywhere from eight to 10, maybe 12 years. Uh, I was 21 when I went to umpire school. I went to the advanced school. I was, I was thrilled. I, the, 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 two, uh, the two most uh, uh, you know, emotional uh, phone calls of my parents that, that year uh, was when I, when, I, when I made it in the top five and I was going to Florida. And then when, after that week in uh, Florida, there were uh, 50 students from all three schools, only five from ours, but uh, the top 13, because there were 13 minor league spring training uh, spots open, the top 13 would get those spots. They didn't tell us how we ranked one through 13, but I got one of the spots. So I was in the top 13. And again, that's you're, you know, the odds of just getting out of umpire school to the next step, which is the one week, uh, aren't real good. And then 13 out of 50 is going to be good. Now, there were more guys that got, there were guys that got jobs still, but those are the 13 coveted where you're going straight from the, from the advanced school to uh, to minor league uh, spring training. That, that was huge. And so I, you know, I, I remember calling my parents and saying, I got it. I got one of the, I got one of the spots. And it was, it was just, uh, you know, you're just, you're just, you're, you're excited. You're, you're nervous. You're, uh, uh, you know, somewhat flabbergasted a little bit, but, um, it just, uh, it was, it was really, a such a, a fun journey there. Was it a tough call then? I take it. It wasn't to quit your radio job and do this, make that leap. 
Uh, no, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, baseball, again, like I said, there's this certain window. And if you if you make it all the way there, I mean, all the way where you have a minor league umpire job, you're in the minor, you're in professional baseball. Um, so many people don't get that opportunity. I could go back to radio anytime, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I had a, I had a good thing going on in Eugene at, at, at KBDF, but... Uh, I also knew that this was a opportunity that's going to only get to come one time, uh, and a lot of people doesn't come at all. And my my whole philosophy on that was, you know what, I, I'm just going to ride this wave as long as uh, as long as they'll have me, or or you know maybe I'll jump off the wave after a, a few years. But uh, uh, you know let you know I, I I got to this. Let's 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 do it. You know, and, and again, just like when. Uh, I started umpiring at 15 and, and, and through high school and stuff, and I really, really enjoyed it. Really, the challenges and, and, and you know, learning to diffuse situations or in the process of learning to diffuse situations, you screw up situations. But I just, I, I just really enjoyed that. I, I, what was the first league you worked in? I was assigned the Northwest League, um, which was great because Eugene had a team. Uh, there were four teams in uh, in Oregon and two in Washington, stretched from Bellingham, which is real close to the Canadian uh, border, down to Medford, Oregon, which is about 40 miles from the California border. I uh, went to Walla Walla, Washington, was the other uh, Washington uh, city, and then we had Salem, Oregon, uh, Eugene, Medford, and uh, uh, Bend, Oregon, and Central Oregon. So that was great because I was I was home, and you know I I, I in fact my my. Uh, my umpire partner and I, it was his second year in the Northwest League, it was my first, but uh, the apartment I had with a couple of roommates in Eugene, we were able to use that, obviously, when we were working in Eugene, but also, you know, for to commute Salem, which is only 40, 45 mi- miles away, um, and to, uh, you know, save, you know, anytime you can save a, a hotel night, because you don't get paid very much uh, at that level, um, or any level in minor leagues, as far as that goes, but, um, so that was, I was thrilled to be able to go to that league, and of course, my parents and friends and everybody could could see me work then i was promoted to the long a league california league which starts in april about maybe a week after the big leagues and it it ends uh, labor day weekend also where the big leagues go another month but so you're you're working probably 140 games where we're in the big leagues there's 162 but i wasn't promoted to the count i was I was scheduled to go back to the Northwest League for 1982 season. There was an opening in the Cal League in May, and so they promoted. So I never went back to the Northwest League. They promoted me in May, and I was in the California League. Now, California League is obviously my my area, and I actually was a bat boy for the San Jose Giants, which when you were in the Cal League was San Jose Bees. Yeah. Um, I know what that stadium looks like. Yeah. The umpire room is small, dingy. I would imagine most single-A clubs at that time the stadiums were small yeah we had a uh i want to say i believe it was in uh salinas maybe not but one of the locker rooms that they had us in you know it's only two umpires and of course you have your your gear your 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 bag which has your uniform and your and your gear and stuff so that's that's kind of big and bulky a little bit but uh uh in this locker <laughs> this locker room literally one umpire would sit on the toilet <laughs> and so, because you had no room, and um, and and you're you're you know, and if, if somebody has to use the toilet, then you have to get up and move. Your, I mean, it was 
it was. Uh, but you know what? You were in. You were in the minor leagues. You were young, and it, this was all an adventure. You know, I, I look at. I look at some of the, the the drives that we would have in the minor leagues. I look at some of the conditions and some of the ho- some of the hotels we stayed in. Which I don't know if they do negative stars, but you know, I'm sure that's what they would qualify for. But you know, I look at at it now. Uh, I think, oh man, I, I could never do that. It's awful. But when you're young. You're just having fun, and, and, and you know, you're just kind of, like I said before, you're a sponge. You're just taking everything in, and you learn so much. You know, you learn at umpire school, but you go out there and work those games. Now, it's this is all in real time. This isn't set up, uh, you know, uh, I'll put, uh, put runners at first and second, fly ball to right field. We have a tag. Let's have a play at third. You know, we, this is uh, this is real baseball. These are these are players that are learning. They're obviously good players, but they're learning how to, to, to play and they're learning how to argue in in, in a professional setting in in, in, a, in the minor leagues. Our, that's one I remember that in umpire school that, that we learned that you know there's a you're gonna have arguments. Of course, we have replay now and things have changed a lot, but you're gonna have arguments and arguing per se, unless it's check swings or uh, pitches or a certain box, uh, are is permitted in the game. In fact. We're, we're the only game that uh, you make a call, then you call time and say, yeah, come on out. Come on out and yell at me. That'll be fun. So so we're learning, you know, the umpire and, and the grind of day in and day out. And remember, a two-man crew, that means you work the plate every other day. You're behind the plate every other day. You're working uh, uh, 140 games in, in, in the Cali. You're working 70 play jobs. In the big leagues, when you're working a four-man crew a full season, the most play jobs I had were, was maybe 35. You're you're you know you're getting repetition. You're you're working. You have har- hardly any days off. Uh, but again, you're young. You're 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 full of uh, you know vigor. You 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 have a goal to 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 keep moving up, and uh, and you're able to do that kind of stuff. But it it was it was a uh, interesting uh, interesting time for sure. Was it hard to be closeted and then be in a sort of relationship with the other umpire? You know, you're you're sharing right. tells. You're you're sharing tight spaces. But you're also trying to keep a secret. It was actually kind of easier than you think because, partly because just the, the, the your lifestyle on the road as an umpire, and uh, also because you know, well, it, it, it helped being in the closet, not having to uh, uh, you know constantly uh, cover things up or whatever. Uh, baseball umpiring baseball helped a lot with you know back home because. I would be gone half the year, and when my cousin who cut my hair was constantly, you know, I was in my 20s trying to match me up with one of her friends or, you know, a blind date, and, you know, Dale, I never, you know, you know, I know you were going out with Leslie for a while, and, you know, and, but I had a built-in excuse. I said, yeah, Sherry, it's just really tough to start a relationship and then, and then say, hey, oh, well, by the way, I'm, I'm leaving in uh, March, and I'll be back in uh, September. You know, it, 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 I had that kind of built-in excuse that, that made sense. And so, you know, it gave me it gave me cover. But your question about being on the on the road with and you are literally living with with your partner. You're 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 driving these long drives. You're you're staying in you know the same hotel room. You're eating lunch together. You're um, going you know working games together. And you know there, it it builds a, a bond and a, a camaraderie. And, and 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 the job itself does because you have three teams out there. You have the the two teams playing each other. And then you have the umpire team and. And it's you and your partner against the world a lot of times, you know. And so you, 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 you really rely on your partner to, to have your back, and you have his. And so you have that camaraderie. But you know, it, it, you know, there were times uh, I thought it'd be nice to just have a night off and maybe uh, 
you know, from Modesto, go into San Francisco or something, go to a go to a gay bar and see see my people. <laughs> but um, you just didn't have time to do it. You didn't have time. You didn't have any money. So uh, even though it might have been frustrating every once in a while, um, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, yeah, and plus, you got to remember, we're in we're in some t- <laughs> towns that trust me, they don't have any gay bars. Um, yeah. Modesto being one, Stockton, yeah, Stockton, Lodi. You know, and so, so yeah, what was it difficult at times? Yeah, at times, but it, but it wasn't too bad. Um, I, I have to, I have to say though, uh, starting in in AAA for me now, now it, it starts actually, I think in, in Long A because the conditions have gotten better. But uh, we used to work two man in, in A ball, short A, long A, and double A, and you room together. Well, when you got to AAA, all of a sudden you had. You're working three man, and most of the time, in my case, we were working four man in, in American Association, and you all had your own room. So, I mean, the the joy of having your own hotel room was like uh, night and day from the uh, previous seasons, where you know it just you put up with everything because you, you just had to. That's the way it was. And so having my own hotel room, a little bit more freedom, and in, in bigger cities that you know do have a, a gay bar here and there, um, it was much more uh, able to do that. But you know, I'd have to create, uh, cre- you know, create times after a game, maybe have a couple beers with the guys, and and uh, yeah, I'm going to go back. I'm kind of tired or whatever, and then uh, you know, slip out and 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 go on my own little adventure and. And it's just what you it's just what you did if you were gonna if you're gonna you know try to try to have any type of uh, freedom uh, when you're on the road with with three other guys. Your minor league umpire crew, I think it seems like it was pretty quick, wasn't it? Isn't it usually I, longer? Yeah, I was I, I was I was really lucky. I, I only spent five years in the minor league. I, I, I was in the big leagues at age 26. And that's that's it's not unheard of. There's been there's been big league guys that only spent three years. You know, there's been big league guys that uh, I think Larry Barnett was 23 in the big leagues. I think uh, Jim Evans was about the same age. Things have changed now. First of all, you have more umpires in the minor league system. The double A is all three men instead of two. You know, the, the minor leagues now have their own union, which has really helped immensely with their, uh, you know, their their. Um, you know, living conditions. I mean, they, that's that's why they get the uh, their own hotels all the way from uh, Long A all the way up. That's uh, why they have uh, you know health insurance, which they never used to have, and uh, that kind of stuff. But five years is pretty quick. I, I but I the the last let's see the last uh, I went to the Northwest League. Okay, that's all I did. Then the next year I, I went to the Cal League in, in May. Then I went to Instructional League in Arizona. So that was. That started about two weeks after the season was over, and ran uh, so about mid-September, and it ran until Halloween. And then, uh, then I had you know spring training in March. And then I was in Double A, and after my Double A season in the Texas League, once again I went to Arizona for uh, instructional league. And then I uh, got uh, uh, my first, uh, or no, I got promoted to Triple A in the '84 season in May. Uh, then I worked the entire well. The entire 85 season in AAA. After that first uh, almost full year, uh, I was assigned um, American League spring training for the 1985 season. Talk about luck. Here, here's a story that'll that'll show you that you know right place, right time. And we have a mantra uh, in the minor leagues, but well, in the big leagues too. But uh, in the minor leagues especially, is that you work every game like there's a supervisor there. 
because the odds are there's not a supervisor there. When I was there, we had one gentleman, Dick Nelson, who who was in charge of all the short A, long A, and double A umpires, and had to do evaluation or uh, reports on on triple A for the entire uh, uh, west of the Mississippi. That's a lot of travel. He traveled all by car, so he you know he would be able to evaluate and and see you in game action twice a year, and you never quite knew when that was going to be. But uh, that's all you would be seeing, frankly. Now, they had some sources, uh, certain scouts and, and people that are at the ballpark all the time that they would ask for, you know, they, they, they uh, respected their opinions on umpires and stuff. But, but really, you know, within the system, that's, that's, that was it. So you, you always work like he's there, the supervisor's there, because that one time you kind of slough off, you don't hustle, or you're tired or whatever, that's the day he's going to be there. Well, I get to AAA. Uh, Promoted to Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, I worked. Uh, I worked two plate. I'm in a four-man crew, so I'm only working the plate every four days. We went from uh, Des Moines to Omaha, and then we went from uh, Omaha to Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. So we're in Louisville. Uh, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. On my crew is Larry Young, is the crew chief. Uh, a gentleman named Matt Fairchild, who who, who never made it to the big leagues, but uh, Tim Cheetah was was on that crew also. Both Larry and, and Cheetah were, were big league umpires eventually. In fact, Cheetah is who I worked with in the Cal League. He also was with the Instructional League, and uh, we went to the umpire school the same year. So I knew a couple of the guys in the crew, which helped. My third plate job in AAA, I had barely been up a, 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 a week and a half maybe. I get my third plate job in Louisville, that middle game, Saturday. Larry Young is working Friday's game. Tim Cheetah is working Sunday's game. And Dick Butler, who was the head of the American League umpires, was in Louisville to, to watch Larry and Tim because they were, you know, prospects for uh, for the American League. In fact, Larry had, had worked some games already. So I just happened to be there in the middle of the game. So they're in the stands. Well, my game on Saturday behind the plate goes five hours. It went 15 innings. And Dick Butler, who didn't even know who I was, because I just got there, he asked Fitzy, he said, who's this guy? And he said, well, that's, that's Dale Scott. He just, he, just, he just got called up like a week ago. Suddenly, I'm, I'm on the American League map because he sees me work a 15-inning game. You know, it was a two-to-one game or something. So obviously, the pitching was really good. And when you have good pitching, you can look pretty good, usually. And so uh, our next stop was uh, uh, Evansville, Indiana. They, uh, they sent Larry Knapp, uh, who's an American League supervisor, there to watch us three now. Then the next stop was Indianapolis, and they sent Bill Haller, who at the time was the American League supervisor also. So now I'm barely there a week and a half. Now I've been seeing my three plate jobs in a row, and after the third one, the American League bought my option. And by that, it means that's when they were, you know, still had American League and National League umpires. If a, if a league buys your option, the other league can't touch you. Uh, and so you're a property of the American League, basically. It doesn't mean you have a job yet, but it means you're, they're interested enough to buy your option, to send you to American League street training, to uh, send you uniforms, and, and, and you're on their radar big time. Yeah, I mean, you're lucky to have that right time, you know, right moment, but you also did what you were supposed to do. You did a good job, so yeah, you're and rewarded for that. If you, that if you have that opportunity, you know, then, again, it's, it's like that window. If that window's open and you get through it, then you better you better get it done because there's a bunch of other people that want to come in that window, and and you know I've I've seen guys 
uh, work a, a big league AAA or a big league uh, spring training game. They don't get a full schedule. They're they're working maybe two or three games in the one spring, but those are big opportunities for them. And I've seen guys, uh, you know, mess up a an argument or mess up a oh, some kind of a maybe a not not necessarily a rule, but a, you know, a rotation and miss a player. And, and we all miss plays. It's not that. It's it's the fact that. You know, you, you should know uh, rotations. You should know, uh, you know, obviously rules. And if if it falls on you and, and you and you don't don't get it right the first time, a lot of times you don't get that second chance. So your first major league appearance is in '85, right? Yeah, yeah. What's that moment like for you? Well, that was a uh, another <laughs> emotional phone call. <laughs> back home uh, just that a lot of times uh, a triple-a umpire will will uh find out that he's going up uh, to the big leagues to to fill in for a for a guy that got hurt the night before maybe uh, blew out his knee or something or his uh, wife went into labor and he's he'd running home and so a lot of times you get that call you know you're you're working a game in 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 omaha at uh you get off the field at 10 o'clock at night and the uh, clubhouse guy is waiting for you at the door saying, uh, you know, Dick Butler called, you're supposed to be in Detroit tomorrow for a game tomorrow night. And, you know, and you're scrambling, you're, you're booking flights and of course you're thrilled to death, but you're also, uh, you know, finding out where the crew stays and, 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 and contacting the crew chief. And, you know, you know, it's a, it's just, it's just a very exciting kind of a whirlwind kind of thing. My opportunity actually was a little bit different from that. This, there was a makeup game from an earlier rainout on August 19th, 1985, which was in Detroit at Kansas City. Both teams were elsewhere on Sunday. They flew in Monday to work this or to play this one game, and then they had both flew out somewhere else on you know after the game. They just came to make that one game up, and and Kansas City was not on a. Uh, uh, homestand, so there's no no umpires there to stay there to work, you know, Kansas City homestand. So they needed to bring a crew in there, which obviously means this crew's going to lose a day off. As it so happens, uh, their that crew was off, and they were going to Oakland, and now they had to divert everybody, and they, they're going to Oakland on Tuesday for a Tuesday game. Well, now now all of a sudden they got to go to Kansas City on Monday for one game, and then off to Oakland. Well. Um, Three of the guys were working, but one of the guys on the crew, Nick Bremigan, it was his individual week off. So he was in Dallas where he lived. So they told him, hey, listen, Nick, instead of cutting short one day your, your week, you know, your time off and having to come to Kansas City, th- those guys are already on the road. They'll just they'll just hit it on the way to Oakland. Why don't you just go and go ahead and go to Oakland on Tuesday? We'll have somebody fill in for you on that Monday night. So they called me like my, my birthday is August 14th. I think they called me August uh, 6th, the day after my birthday, you know, 15th. And said, "Hey, uh, there's a makeup game. Uh, we want you to work third base in uh, Kansas City on the 19th." So I had like a I had like a four or five day heads up, which is doesn't happen, you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, I was walking on cloud nine, and uh, and they told me they said, and I was I was going to be working in Omaha. So Omaha, or, uh, yeah, Omaha. So Omaha to Kansas City is <laughs> it's like a I don't know 20 minute flight or something, but it's uh, it's very short. But uh, they said, just take your base stuff. Don't don't bring your whole trunk in your gear and all that stuff. It's just a one-game makeup, and you're working third base. And I said, okay, all right. So I'm fired up. 
And uh, so I had a little, I had a little headway, or you know, heads up before I, uh, I got that call up. And I was, you know, you, you're just excited. I mean, all this stuff that you've done from umpire school to the lower minor leagues to the instructional league to going to to winter ball. I was in the Dominican for two winters working winter ball. Um, which is a whole another set of circumstances, but you know now it, it's 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 starting to it's to pay off. You're still you're still not even close to having a job, but hey, at least I can now say if I never worked another game, I've I were I umpired a game in the big leagues. And so you get there, you're on the third base. What's the game like? <laughs> well, as it turns out, um, in. Uh, uh, this was in '85. In '84, Detroit was world champions. Um, yeah, and at the end of '85, Kansas City was going to be world champions after they beat uh, St. Louis. So, of course, we don't know that yet. But uh, so we have the two back-to-back world champion teams playing each other in this makeup game. Uh, I show up. I, we're in the locker room. I, I, you know, I just had my base stuff. I, I went. Uh, I, I was putting my sh- uh, t-shirt on before my uh, my uniform shirt. <laughs> Jim Evans, who's got this. He's a crew chief and a very, very dry sense of humor. He uh, he said, Dale, uh, are, you, are you nervous? I go, yeah, yeah, a little bit. You know, I've got some butterflies, but, you know, I'm, I'm ready for this. He goes, well, the reason I asked is because you put your T-shirt on backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I look down, I, did, I didn't skip a beat. I go, well, yeah, I always do that. I set the trends, you know. And, uh, they, you know, they laughed, and I, I felt like an idiot, and I, I took it off and put it on correctly. So we go out, and, and we, we, we meet for the, uh, for the uh, you know, lineup exchange and, the, and the meeting at home plate. And that spring, the spring of, uh, of 85, I had worked in uh, Central, uh, I had worked in Detroit. So I, I had worked Sparky Anderson before, but I, I had not worked Kansas City at all. I, I didn't know Dick Hauser at all. Um, and... You know, they come out, walk it up, and of course they know those guys. And but they said, Dale Scott, hey, good to see you. You know, congratulations, hey Dale. You know, they shake my hand, and I'm thinking, how do they, how do they even know my name? Well, but they know my name because it's posted in the dugout. You know, I mean, they <laughs> every team has it on. You know, because they they want they don't want to you know disrespect the umpire and call them something. Well, they do anyway. But <laughs> you know, they it was they had, they had a cheat sheet, and of course I naive I didn't realize that at that time. Um, so we break up for that, and, and I run down to third base, and, and, and now I'm looking at, you know, at Royal Stadium, Coffin Stadium. It's a beautiful ballpark. I mean, it was, it yeah, was built in the early 70s, and it, it, it's not one of those that after 25, 30 years, it kind of lost its charm. You know, it's, uh, it was, uh, you know, built, it's, just, it's just a really nice ballpark. And I was looking around uh, as, you know, the teams or the pitchers are warming up and everything, and, I, and I'm just kind of gazing up around, and I'm sure I looked like I was, you know, <laughs> lost. But uh, in my mind, I was thinking, you know, how did I get here? You know, that first that first game I worked in March of 1975 at uh, Madison Junior High against Spencer Butte, you know, it wasn't that long ago, really, was 10 years ago. And, and here I am in the big leagues. And all of a sudden, George Brett, who, who plays third base, then he, he goes, uh, hey, Dale, is your, your first game? <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I look and I... And I literally looked down like I had a wet spot or something. I go, how can you tell? I mean, how do you know? And he goes, he just laughs. He goes, he goes, he goes well, because I haven't, I haven't seen you around. I just figured it was your first game. <laughs> you know, again, I, I'm like, uh, is it that obvious? Well, yeah, probably it was real obvious, but I was trying not to be obvious. So the game went, the game actually went, to, I, I believe, 10 innings. It went next innings, 10 innings, and I only had two calls. I had a, uh, ironically, a check swing on George Brad. I said he went. And then the uh, 
the game-winning rally in the bottom of the tenth. Uh, I don't know. If, I think it was started. I think the first inning was a it was a fair foul decision. Uh, he, I called it fair, and he ended up with a double and ended up uh, scoring the, the winning run. And that was the two. I, I had nothing else the rest of the game, you know, um, which is fine with me. <laughs> but but uh, that was my one and only game in 1985. After you called George Brett's uh, check swing. When he comes back to the infield, does he make a comment at all? Sometimes they did. He he didn't this time. He he he. he George is a pretty good guy, and he's a and he and you know, he's a funny guy. And so he came out, and, and I was you know I, you know when the inning's over, you kind of go in shallow left field, you just kind of away from the infield. That's just protocol. But the whole time I'm thinking, oh man, George, he's going to come out here. <laughs> you know, of all the guys, he's standing right next to me uh, when he gets out here. And I, I looked up, and he came out, and he and he gave me this like really like stink eye, like it was really you know just you know scowling at me, and I thought, oh god, you know? and then he just starts laughing. <laughs> you know? And so I was like, okay, that's that's good. Later so, on, in my, later on in my career, probably my, my third or fourth year, I was in, in the same stadium, and George was a, 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 he was a base runner on first base, and I called a check swing. I forget who was on, but a, a right-handed hitter, and I was at first. Yeah, I called a check swing. I said yes, and George looks at me. He goes, "That's the worst call I've ever seen." I said, "Oh no, George, I've had much worse than that." <laughs> he starts laughing, but yeah, that was my only game in '85, and I was it was it was a thrill, and, and I thought from that moment on, um, no matter what happens, uh, I, I am now you know, worked a game in the big leagues and I, you, you can't take that away from me, you know? At this point in your life, are you out at all to anybody? Uh, at that point, my, my younger brother knew and my mother knew. Um, and, and then I had gay friends, um, but, but my straight friends, like my high school friends, and stuff, I was not out to any of them at that point, no. How did you come out to your, your brother and mom? Um, my brother is four years younger than me. When I was, uh, when I was 19, I, you know, I had that, uh, I always joke. Ah, I was I was by about twenty minutes, uh, um, but I, uh, you know, I, I just told him. I, you know, I, I said, uh, I, I think again. I think I said, you know, I think I buy and and uh, Tim, my brother. You know, it's, a, it's the uh, the crazy seventies. He said, oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, he didn't care. <laughs> it was it was just uh, you know like okay whatever. The funny story is my mom. I I. Uh, it, I was probably, it was either 82 or 83. So I, so I was either my second or third year. It was the off season uh, 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 in the minor leagues. And I was, you know, I'm living with my parents, but I'm gone half the year. But uh, I'm there, uh, uh, one of my best friends who was gay, uh, he was a year older than me. Uh, his name was Doug. He uh, lived across town. He had his own uh, townhouse. So I stayed there a lot because, you know, I was 20. 22 years old or whatever and and living with your parents i you know that was kind of lame but <laughs> i was making no money and i had no choice but uh um and so my mom one and i had a great relationship with my parents and uh my mom one day it was just her and i talking and, and you know some tuesday afternoon or something and and i've always got this relationship with my mom i tease her a lot and and, and you know we, we laugh a lot and she, i don't even know what the conversation was about but she said something to the effect of uh, you know, I, I, I may not know, but I've got a pretty good imagination, and I know a lot about you. And I said, oh, really, Mom? You know a lot about me. Well, why don't you, you tell me something about me? And I, I honestly, Randy, thought, 
she was going to say, oh, I, you know, I, I know you've smoked pot before, you know, <laughs> you know, like, ooh, I mean, it's Oregon, it's the law, I'm also, but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but I, I mean, I, that's something on that vein is what I thought she was going to say. And she said, well, I know your sexual preference is men. <laughs> <laughs> just like wow, I uh, I did not see that coming, um, and so I, I I paused and I I, I looked and I'm and my mind's going oh man that it's like a it's like a trial lawyer that asks a question thinking he knows what the answer is going to be that <laughs> was not at all, um, and so I paused a little bit and I, I said what what makes you say that and and she said well I can put two and two together, and I said. All right, mommy, you probably have a lot of questions. And and we talked for like two hours. And she 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 had some, you know, very thought out, you know, you know, questions, just 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 not knowing about, you know, about gay people. Um, and then she has some, you know, stupid ones too, you know. Well, who plays the girl? Well, mom, that's the thing. We don't have a girl. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, that's that's why we're gay. Um, but uh, uh, it 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 was really enlightening and and, and the one thing she did say she said, and she goes, who else knows? I said, well, Tim knows, my brother. Uh, and she goes, well, don't tell your father. He's, he's going to retire in a couple of years. <laughs> and he, he was, the job that he was doing at the time, he was in management, and he was, he just, he would come home worn out and, you know, long hours. And I, <laughs> my mom was just protecting him, really, just like, don't, he doesn't need any more stress. Just, just uh, let's let's put that off for another day. And I said, that's that's fine. I I, I was putting you off until you told me, so that <laughs> I, I can do this. Um, do you think she saw you struggling with it, or like, why? What do you think made her bring it up to you? Well, to be honest with you, um, probably because uh, this was uh, I hadn't had I had a girlfriend uh, through high school. Uh, and I saw this one girl briefly, uh, like my first, I mean, I really hadn't had a girlfriend in, in, in three years, three and a half years. I, I spent, uh, even though Doug and I were just friends, we weren't, uh, romantic in any way, but I, you know, I was, I spent most of my time hanging, hanging with him. I, I, uh, you know, I asked her that I, I said, what, you know, how, you know, when you said, do I have to put two and two together? She goes, well, you know. All your all your friends are are you know a couple have gotten married, but all of them have you know steady girlfriends. They're all they're always doing things with them. You're doing things with them also, you know. What I mean, because you're friends of of theirs, but you know you never you're always solo. You're always solo, and it that in itself doesn't necessarily mean that. But she said, you know, you're a good looking kid, and and, and you got a good personality, and no girls are gonna. You know? And I, I I just think that. Uh, you know, the, uh, mother's intuition. Uh, you know, I think she just, uh, you know, she didn't necessarily understand it. Um, and quite frankly, at that time, I didn't necessarily understand it. But I, I just knew it was real and, and it, it was what it was. But, you know, I think she just, uh, over the course of a, of a few years, I think she kind of just put all the pieces together. But I'll tell you what, for her to say that to me that day, um, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're putting that out there. <laughs> and if it wasn't true, I would be like, how in the heck did you come up with that? But, um, yeah, she was, she was spot on. That's cool. That's a cool story. I've never heard it like that. Let's fast forward to, um, your full-time years in the major league baseball. Uh-huh. What was it like working a no hitter? Cause you worked a few rare ones. Like you, you worked a no hitter where, the pitcher that did the no hitter actually lost, right? Yeah, I, I had 
I, I worked behind the plate for two no-hitters. I was on the bases for three others. The two that I worked behind the plate, uh, the one, the first one was the Yankees at uh, the White Sox. It, it was the last year of old Comeski Park, 1990, I believe. Uh, Andy Hawkins was the uh, starting pitcher for the Yankees. And it was a, it was a 0-0, no, no score through. It. Now we're at the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, White Sox are pitching, and, and they haven't got a hit yet. I don't remember the series of us in that inning, but what happened was they scored either two or three runs. There were there, uh, Jim Lairitz made a, uh, he was playing left field. He, he made a, like a three or two or three base error or something. Uh, anyway, they scored two or three runs without a hit. There was, uh, you know, maybe a couple walks uh, and there was a couple errors, whatever it was, but no hits. So now they're, now the White Sox are up, uh, you know, two nothing and all they need is three outs. and They win the game and that's what they got. And so Andy Hawkins, Threw a no hitter, an eight inning, eight inning no hitter, and got the loss, which is more rare than throwing a no hitter and getting the win. Uh, but the problem was that, that winner, uh, the rules committee or whoever makes those decisions, changed the scoring rules retroactively, and they said to qualify for a no hitter, you have to pitch a minimum of nine innings. Mm-hmm. So it was the no hitter for about uh, six months. Oh, okay. And then uh, uh, about four years later, in uh, 94, I was behind the plate when Scott Erickson and the home team, Minnesota Twins in the old Metrodome, they uh, they beat Milwaukee, and he threw a no-hitter, a uh, nine-inning no-hitter. <laughs> uh, and it was a little shaky in the ninth. He walked two hitters, uh, both, I think they were on three-two counts. You know, you, you know, as a plate umpire, as any umpire, but as a plate umpire, you know, as you get into the you know, sixth, the seventh, the eighth, and, you know, you, you see goose eggs up there. You're just thinking, you know, just don't miss a pitch. Don't miss a play. You know, the guy at first base, you, you're saying don't miss a play. If you save some guy and they score a hit, they're going to be all over you, you know, and you're, if you're wrong, you know, or whatever. Um, so you, you're aware of what's going on. You you, 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 you you try not to think of it, but that's pretty much all you think about <laughs> and, because you just you just – you know, you, you, you kind of put it up a notch. You just go, don't, don't, don't screw this up. You, you know, if they screw it up, that, that's one thing. But don't, don't let them hang it on your head that he missed a no-hitter because you missed a play at first or, or, or missed a, 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 a 2-2 pitch and a strike three and now the guy jacks one. You know, it's just, uh, you, you just don't want to be the goat. You don't want to, you don't want to be the one to blame, to take the blame. But, uh, yeah, he, he survived that ninth. And that no-hitter stood. And then I was on, uh, uh, Justin Verlander had two no-hitters, and both times, I think he's only had two, and both times I was on the bases for those. And then I was also on the bases in Seattle one year when there was a combined no-hitter by the Mariners. I think they threw four or five pitchers that day. In the mid-90s, Major League Baseball had a strike. And then following that, I think the year, the first few years after it comes back, it it's sort of not dying, obviously, but it's going through some rough times. There were two things that get credit for saving baseball, they say. One was Cal Ripken's player streak. Yeah. The other was the Sammy Sosa-Mark McGuire home run battle. Right. How was that as a as an ump that year? Well, the home run battle was in the National League, and I was in the American League, so I, I just watched it from afar. I didn't have any uh, any games that had anything to do with it. Um, you know, uh, Ripken, uh, you know, getting that record in the 95 season, which is the season that started late after the 94 strike, you know, that, that was a, uh, that was something that 
even the disgruntled baseball fans that were so pissed off at baseball, uh, they're true passionate fans, but they were really mad at, at C League and, and the player and everybody. They were mad at everybody. But even, I mean, everybody could 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 take joy out of out of that record because it was such a it, it is such a unbelievable record that you know never say never but that record you know it's going to be really really tough to beat that record mm-hmm. um especially nowadays that baseball is different you know the the uh, you know players um in the past played through a lot of things that nowadays they just won't not not i'm not necessarily saying the players just won't because they're prima donnas necessarily i'm just saying you know uh, uh, trainers and stuff they've learned that you know you got to get this healed up before you can you know move on or whatever so that that did have a bonding effect and that was in september i believe when he broke it so it was it helped build some momentum uh, you know for the postseason just because we didn't have one the year before um then you had but you know that was 95 but then the the, uh, the uh, home run battle was i believe 98 um and you know that's when now the whole steroid thing is really uh, uh getting its teeth into baseball and, and and quite frankly i you know some people say oh, oh baseball knew the whole time and they just did nothing about it. I, I honestly think they did not know the, the severity of it. I, I don't think they knew quite what, you know, the full effect of what was happening. I really don't. I think they were, uh, you know, it it was like, oh, there's a question. And all of a sudden it just, it was like, it just blew up and everybody, what it seemed like, everybody was on them and, 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 and baseball was, was caught flat-footed. And, and they had, you know, they had blame in it. There's no doubt. But I just don't buy the theory that they just sat back and just laughed their way to the bank, whatever. Now, I do know this. And you got to understand, too, to get anything passed by the league to, to you know, on, on testing or anything like that, it's got to go through the Players Association. Mm-hmm. And the Players Association in baseball, of all the associate, Players Associations in, in different sports, is one, if not the strongest. It's a very strong um, group. And they have been in the past. They, uh, they, 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 you know, for the most part, stick solid together. And, and, and so, you know, again, even if they wanted to make some drastic changes or do some things. They, they, you know, they, they had to go through that. And in a lot of ways on a, on a different level, because we're not as strong but, as them, but we have a pretty strong, we had a pretty strong union for years that was able to uh, stop uh, some of the implication that, that baseball wanted to do in some uh, of the uh, evaluations and stuff. And, 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 you know, we, we thought it wasn't fair, and it was, you know, basically what they were trying to do is get certain people they didn't like off the field when they didn't have the data necessarily to do it, um, and that kind of thing. But, but uh, so, so there's, there's a lot of context in this whole thing, but there's no doubt that that home run chase and, and that they were doing, and, you know, two pretty well-liked guys, um, and, and especially Sosa as far as two guys with pretty good personalities, and yeah, again, that that helped heal some of the baseball wounds. Ironically, by two guys that were probably doing steroids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it was you know some of us, you know, a no hitter, a, a perfect game. Those are those are amazing feats. Uh, but uh, you know, average fans find you know 
could quite frankly find those a little boring. But when 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 you're hitting the ball all over the place and and and, and smashing you know these record uh, uh, you know lengths and everything, that's that's something that everybody gets kind of excited about. But it was a tough time for baseball. It was a tough time. You know, you had the strike, you had the whole steroid thing, and trying to get stuff through, and trying to get through association, and trying to be fair about it, but also trying to, you know, and then you, uh, you know, the accusations that this home run thing was, you know, they just turn their heads, and I, you know, I think maybe a little bit they did, but they, I, I don't buy the whole thing that they were just, you know, uh, they knew everything and, and were just, uh, you know, playing everybody, but that was a tough time, and then. Uh, uh, and as you know now, it's still it's still a tough time because those those players from that era, you know, who have the stats to be no brainers in the in in the Hall of Fame are are not getting there. Yeah, they they're paying for it. One thing I want to talk about with Barry Bonds is, and I'm not going to deal with his steroid. You know, did he did he not did he know did he not know whatever. That's a different podcast. But one thing I've always wanted to ask an ump is. The man had huge pads on. Yeah. And when he's at bat, he his part of his body's like over the plate. Yeah. How, yeah. How did he get away with being hit by pitches so much if he was actually over the plate? Yeah, well, again, that's how did they get away with it? I don't know, but I do know that they have uh, Clamp down on on, on on armor, body armor stuff like that. I mean, first of all, you, you can only wear it if you have a, had a legitimate injury in that area, and you know that's got to be proven, all that stuff. But they also um, the pads themselves. First of all, the materials are better now. They're you know they're thinner and stronger with the materials that they're finding to to put on, so they're not as bulky. But they have they do have uh, you know some regulations that you can't just put put on a. a you know, a, a garbage pail lid, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know. Umpires, referees, whatever sport, usually go unnoticed unless there's a mistake. But in 2000, I think 14 is when you come out. Yeah. What led to you coming out to the league and how did it, how did it happen? What was the aftermath? How did you feel after it's all done? Well, uh, you know, the uh, 2000s and, and 2000 teens, <laughs> um, there was uh, a lot of stuff going on in this country uh, concerning uh, equal rights and, and gay rights. Uh, several states, including my beloved uh, "quote unquote" liberal Oregon, in in uh, in, um, in uh, 2004 uh, during that presidential election, passed uh, a constitutional amendment, amendment that made it uh, illegal to. Uh, have same-sex marriage, and and there was I think there was six or eight states that general election that had that on their ballot. They all passed. Uh, the only solace I took was that Oregon's passed by the least amount, <laughs> but still, but still, it was like uh, uh, 53-47 or something. Um, you know, so uh, so you had that in context going on, and 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 then you know the fight for for marriage equality. Well. Finally, uh, Mike and I, my husband, uh, a partner at the time, uh, we, in 2007, we bought a, uh, a house down in Palm Springs, a perfect place uh, for an umpire because you're off in the winter and get out of the Oregon rain, and uh, it was uh, it was nice uh, to have both, you know, 
anyway, so we uh, we had registered as domestic partners in both Oregon and Washington, and by doing that, he was able to get on my insurance at uh, work. Uh, he didn't get all full benefits like a, a married spouse, but he did get some very big ones that that was not only saving us money, but that were just the right thing to do. But but we you know we still didn't have equality unless you had uh, you know full marriage. Finally got that in, uh, passed in California in 2013, I believe, and we got married on November 2nd of that year in the backyard of our house there. In Oregon, uh, it was ruled unconstitutional in May of the next year, uh, 2014. So we roll into uh, the end of the, toward the end of the season in 2014. Uh, Referee Magazine, which is a uh, trade magazine that you can't buy it on the newsstand or anything, it's, uh, but it's about a circulation of about uh, 40,000 maybe. Um, they wrote a, they had a story on me, uh, just on my career. And, you know, at that time I was, I don't know, uh, 28, 28th season, I think. And, uh, and it was a, it was a very well-written article because he, he did a lot of research. He, he asked for names. He, he talked to like two of my best friends from high school. He talked to, uh, the guy that got me started in 1975 at umpire. He talked to uh, my, uh, uh, the guy I worked for, a uh, uh, program director of the radio station, uh, in, in Eugene, uh, talked, you know, I mean, some other people that were in my life and, and, uh, and, you know, did a, did a good job. So that was coming out at Referee Magazine. I think I believe it was their October issue, but it was coming out about the third week of September. So right before it went to print and all that stuff, uh, uh, the editor called me and he said, Dave, we've got tons of umpire pictures, but do you have any pictures of, of some of these people that are in that we interviewed, uh, you know, so that we could put it in the story? I said, sure, I'll find some stuff. So I was thinking, there's a picture of Mike and I that was taken in March of that year because uh, that year the uh, the uh, Dodgers and Diamondbacks opened the season in Sydney, Australia, and I was fortunate to be one of the umpires to work that series. And and you know you could take your spouse and or you can take anybody really. It's just you and one other ticket, and you know it's first class, and you're there for about four or five days before you even have to work. It, it was just a great trip. But there was a picture of Mike and I uh, sitting on the plane before we took off from L.A. And I told Mike, I said, you know, Mike, they've talked to all these people in this story, a story about my life and how I started umpiring and everything. And, and the one person that's been with me this entire journey, I, I met Mike after my first year in the big leagues. I met him in October of 86. So he's been with me uh, this entire time uh, through the through the big leagues. And I... I, I said, it just doesn't seem fair, even though the story wasn't about that. I said, it doesn't seem fair that you're not in this. I said, I want to submit this picture with uh, with these other ones, with the caption, Dale Scott and longtime companion Michael Rausch, uh, you know, on, on the way to Sydney or whatever. And I, I still didn't even say, even though we were married, I didn't, <laughs> well, I wanted to baby steps. We'll do baby steps. <laughs> um, so I sent the pictures in, and editor calls me to say, "Hey, Dale, yeah, we got you know, got your pictures. It's all good." He said, "I just want to make." And I, I uh, Jeffrey Stearns is his name. I, I, I've known him for several years. Um, he said, "You know, I, I have absolutely no problem putting this picture of you and Mike with that caption. I, I think it's great, but I just want to give you one more chance. Are you sure you want to do this?" Uh, and I said, "Yeah, I do. I do." I said, and my thought process was. You had all this stuff going on with the constitutional amendments. You have all this, uh, you know, just the in general uh, uh, 
uh, you know, gay rights uh, that have, you know, one step forward, two steps back a lot of times. Uh, going back when, when I first came out, I came out in 1979. I, I was out maybe, you know, free and realizing who I was for about a year and a half, two years, and suddenly the AIDS crisis, it, and, and it just devastated our community. Yeah. Um, and it was awful. Um, and, and, uh, and, and you thought you were going to get it, and you thought you were, you know, and you, 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 would, you would get a bruise uh, by hitting, you know, your arm on a door or something, and you think, you know, you're going to be dead in, in three weeks or something. I mean, it was just an awful time uh, for the gay community uh, in the 80s there. So I thought, you know what, I, I know that if I submit this, and this person that's been with me, and now we're married, uh, I, I totally realize you're opening up that <laughs> box. Um, you know, I thought Referee Magazine is kind of a quiet way to come out of it, it you know, but uh, but still, you know, be prepared. I, I really didn't know what was going to, how it was going to, you know, play. Well, the magazine goes and crickets. <laughs> it's, it's like part of it was because, you know, a small circulation, whatever. But there was one uh, college football official that got the magazine who was gay. He was he was not out, but he, he was gay and saw the, the, the story and saw the picture. And he emailed Outsports.com. I don't know if you're familiar with them. But oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Outsports.com. Um, and talked to Jim Brzezinski and said, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Dale Scott just came out in Referee Magazine. And, you know, Jim saw, saw it and he contacted me. And he said, uh, uh, Dale, that was the exact word. He goes, I don't know if you realize this, but you, you just came out. And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. You know, I, I, I wasn't sure how, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't some grand, uh, you know, announcement or anything, but, uh, yeah, I, I knew exactly what, what the, uh, what, you know, what was going on. And I, and I, and I was ready. I mean, we, I thought, you know, we, we had fought so hard as a community for, for, uh, uh, you know, equal right and, and, and gay or marriage equality. And then Mike and I, the year before, got married, and I'm still, you know, not talking about it. I thought that's just, it's just wrong, you know. I, I, I all, all these so many people that paid all these sacrifices, uh, you know, going back to Stonewall 50 years ago, and I, and I thought, you know what, you know, step up to the plate, Dale. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's your 28th year in the big leagues. You've had three World Series. You're a crew chief for the last, since 2001. I don't think they're going to fire you, you know. <laughs> um, and quite frankly. I did, Early in my career, I thought for sure I'd be fired if it ever got out. You know, I just, and I certainly would have been ostracized. Uh, but at this point, quite frankly, I didn't care. You know, I was, I was a few years away from, from retiring anyway, but I just thought, you know what, I, I, I would be a hypocrite if I didn't do this. So Jim said, I, you know, we'd like to have a, do a story. And I said, and this is literally the week that uh, the first playoff postseason assignment is going to come out. I don't know if I'm working or not, but I said, Jim, we've got the postseason coming up. I don't know if I'm working. Even if I'm not, I don't, we don't need this story to somehow overshadow or at least compete for, for you know, press time during baseball's, you know, grand uh, October. I said, I, I will be you have an exclusive interview when the when the World Series is over. I'll be happy to sit down with you, um, but not right now. And and he said that makes total sense. He goes the the only thing is that you get, and I, I said you know you can put on your website anything you want to put on. I mean I can't stop you from doing that. But but if you want to if you want a uh, exclusive interview, it'd be after the World Series. And he said he said absolutely I agree. He goes. Uh, However, if, if some other uh, you know platform or news organization gets wind of this, then we're going to have to do a story. And I said, I, I, I understand, but I just don't, I don't want to do this right now. 
Well, nothing happened. Um, and so the World Series over, he contacted me, we interviewed, uh, uh, he, he said, this, he said, we're going to drop this story um, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. And I said, okay, well, this was, he had told me this like the, the Tuesday before, before Thanksgiving. And I said, uh, okay, cool. You know, and I, I, I kind of didn't think twice about it because when the referee one went, nobody knew about it. So I, I kind of, you know, naively, like, oh, well, it's, it's out sports, who knows out sports, right? So that Tuesday, it was December 2nd, I, I'm in Portland. I, I woke up at about 9.30 or 9 o'clock. I pick up my phone and it had blown up. I had text messages. I had emails. I had uh, you know missed calls. I and I go, what is going? Oh, <laughs> it's like oh my! I turn on the TV. It's on the ticker on ESPN. And so they're talking about it on MLB Network. They're, they're, the CNN does a thing. You know, it, I mean, it, it it was on, and it had, it had been on the website when I woke up about forty five minutes. Um, I, that day, I fielded interview uh, requests from all over the world. Uh, I only picked out a few. I picked a couple of the local stations, a, a local sports writer who I knew, I, I, uh, Ben Walker, AP Sports in New York, who's a good friend of ours. I, I did a, a Toronto radio station because I thought the, the Canadians deserved to hear about this too. Um, and, and then the rest, you know, basically, I did USA Today, uh, but I, you know, I had, I could have done. I could have done 25 more, but, um, it, you know, we had two television crews here, local crews, you know, came to the house. Mike, <laughs> I told Mike when it was going to drop it. And, and in fact, before I, I sent the picture in, I said, I said, Mike, now listen, this is what I want to do, but I won't do it if, if you don't want me to do it. And Mike goes, I don't care. You're the one who's going to have to deal with this. <laughs> you know? Well, Mike had to deal with it too, because, uh, <clears throat> Well, I was inundated with, uh, you know, news media and all that going on. Uh, he was getting phone calls and texts from, from people he'd gone to high school and hadn't talked to in years. He was getting, uh, uh, you know, people from their, uh, their his parents' golf club. I mean, you know, he was having his own little whirlwind going on. And in fact, at one point, we had a three-story house here in Portland. Uh, and he was downstairs. At one point, he walked out and looked at me like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but... Uh, but it was all it was all good. The next day, I did a couple uh, I did a couple interviews in the morning, like radio stuff. And I had I had already like weeks before I had scheduled a flight to uh, Palm Springs to go check out our house down there. I couldn't wait to get on that plane because I thought, you know what, it's going to be two hours where the phone's not ringing and, and all that. And uh, I was upgraded to first class. I'm sitting there. I took out my. USA Today, and I opened it up, and there I have a big picture of me on like the sports page. And I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> it's just like, it was surreal." Uh, a week later, I was in I was in Palm Springs, half asleep, uh, when the Tonight Show was on, and, and Jimmy Fallon has a joke about me in his monologue. You know, and I, I spring up and go, "Oh, are you kidding me?" Um, it, it was really uh, it, it it taught me in real time and real quickly the power of social media and how quickly these things go around uh, around the world. But it was the, the, the feedback I got from over over 200 emails uh, and, then, and then just feedback from people I knew that had my number and, and I could, was all positive. I didn't, I didn't get one email that, you know, that was a negative, you know, stupid thing. Now there were, there were uh, internet trolls on, on stories where they could, you know, write comments and they don't have, oh, to of course. you know, I mean, they were, they were, you know, doing all that. I had a couple that were really funny. One said, uh, 
because in the article uh, in Referee uh, and Alice Forces, as far as that goes, um, I you know said like I usually do in every interview, and I'm going to do it right now. Um, I'm a huge Oregon Duck football fan and Oregon Duck fan. I grew up in Eugene and was going to games when I was a little kid, and they were terrible. And so I'm not a I'm not a, a bandwagon guy. But anyway, I I, um, I uh, you know I. I in the article, I mentioned that, and, and so I got a I got a uh, 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 email that said, uh, "I am shocked and appalled that Dale Scott came out as a duck fan." <laughs> and, and then in the next paragraph, I said, "But it all makes so much sense with all their uniform changes." <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Uh, and then there was the one that that kind of a, epitomized how a fan should think. It was from a woman. Uh, she said, "I'm whatever her name was." She said, "I'm a 20-year Yankee season ticket holder, and I am so you know I've seen you work many games. I am so proud of you. The courage it took for you to do that. I hope you and Mike are happy." And just just a delightful first paragraph. <clears throat> However, <laughs> as the second paragraph starts. However, as a Yankee fan, I, for the life of me, do not understand how you can make some of those calls against the Yankees. <laughs> Which, I, I love that, because it was like, you know what, we're proud of you for being human and doing that, but by the way, you're still the umpire. You know, <laughs> we still have our loyalties there. The, the most heartwarming one is the one that I got from a senior in high school uh, in the L.A. area who umpired baseball, who was gay, who was not out, and his goal was to be a major league umpire. And he said, I never even, even though that's what I wanted to be, I, I knew there was no way I would ever have that opportunity because I was gay. And now because of you, I understand that I may not make it to the big leagues because I don't have the talent, but it's not because of who I am. And that was, I mean, it, 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 I, I was speechless. I mean, when, when you, when you, when you ha hear somebody say that, uh, because of an action that, that you did, that's um, very powerful. And 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 uh, I, you know, I, I I emailed back and I, I you know I, I said I was you know very proud of him and this and that. He goes, hey, when you come work the Dodgers, can can, can we get together for lunch? I said, Absolutely. So I went there in early June and we had lunch. Great kids. They was Sal. Uh, his graduation was a week later. So now I was back in August. And we had lunch again, and I said, Sal, by the way, I, uh, when I was here last time, uh, you were about to graduate. How'd that go? And he goes, Dale, it was great. I came out to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I said, and he goes, it's all because of you. And I go, wow. I said, how did that go? <laughs> he said, for the most part, pretty good. He said, uh, um, you know, my grandmother said she knew all along. My mother, uh, eh, she wasn't real. She said, of all the days on your graduation, you have to do it. <laughs> but... Uh, but you know, it, it, just a great kid. In fact, uh, the the uh, the Angels had their first Pride Night uh, on the 25th of uh, June, and I invited. Uh, I went down. Uh, Billy Bean was there, and and, and, I, and I invited uh, Sal. I said, Sal, you be my guest for a Pride Night, you know. And I and I told that story to this. Uh, we were doing this panel, and uh, uh, but you know, the thing is, is that Randy, you, you never know whose lives you touch that you never will hear from, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, the people I did hear from, I mean, I heard from firefighters, police, uh, soccer referees, football referees, other baseball umpires, you know, uh, from all over the world. I, I heard uh, from a, a, a father in Toronto with two daughters, like eight and ten, uh, and said, um, you know, I'm so proud of you. He goes, this is just another step 
is where my daughters, the way, I'm hoping when my daughters grow up that this is just another step where this is not, it won't be news at all, that, that we won't be judged on our sexuality, we won't be ostracized and say, you know, and, and he goes, I, and, and, and you're, you're part of, of, of making the world, you know, fine again or something. I mean, it's just, it's so touching. Do you hear it? You hear this, somebody took the time to, to, to you know, to write this and, uh, uh, you know, heard so many, uh, uh, you know, different officials in, in amateur sports or policemen, like I said, and so they said, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not out, I'm not there yet, but you, you got me a step closer, you know, and so it, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's been really um, enlightening for me. I, I, quite frankly, didn't know what to expect. I did this in December. It was when it came out. So we were months away from a game. Um, and, and I didn't know if I'd be heckled. I didn't know if, uh, uh, I, I just wasn't sure, you know, all the umpires knew that I worked with. The people on, on Park Avenue, the, the, the front office of uh, Major League Baseball, they knew it. I, I mean, Mike was a domestic partner for a year. You know, he had his own uh, uh, ID and all that stuff. So this wasn't a shock to them. But, you know, the teams didn't know. The fans didn't know. The media didn't know. And, and so, it, and I was the first uh, active male official in the big five sports uh, to come out. Uh, Violet uh, Palmer in the NBA, she came out the summer of uh, that year, I believe. So she and she was active, still active. So, you know, and I'm proud of that. I mean, I, that isn't why I did it, but I, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud because I, you know, that maybe, 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 you know, that's another little chink in the armor where eventually, and I've said it in interviews, eventually this will not be a story at all. Oh yeah, totally. And speaking of Mike, I mean, obviously, besides you know the media attention and all that, it must have been a huge moment to finally be sort of not allowed, but be an active part of something that's such a big part of your life. Well, that's true. You know, early in my career, um, he would come, uh, you know, on the road a couple times and, you know, I, we, you know, we, we, we stayed in the same room and everything, but I mean, there, there were times when we'd take separate elevators or, or, or escalators, uh, when rooms, we get room service, I, he would go into the bathroom because I know people at the hotel and I didn't want him to, to know that I'm, you know, I'm in a hotel room with another guy and then one bed, you know, because they, they know who the umpires are. We know who they are. I mean, you know, because they, they work there. I mean, it, and, and every time you did something like that to try to cover up, you know, who you are, try to, I felt like I was, I was, I felt like a second class citizen. I felt like I was, you know, um, treating Mike even worse. And I felt so cheapened when I would do that, not only in our relationship, but just in general as a human. And, uh, and you know, and, and quite frankly, he he stopped coming to games that were coming out on the road. Yeah, you know, and a lot of times guys will bring their spouses out, and you know, for a week long weekend or you know, some fun cities or whatever. Um, and I, you know, we we just said, you know what, let's just we have all off season. We can you know do fun stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, he'd come up to Seattle because it's close, or uh, he has uh, uh, friends in the Bay Area or whatever. But you know, it, you you felt you, you didn't. You weren't whole, you know. You, you, we'd have a week off, and the crew gets back together, and 
uh, you know, one said, yeah, uh, my wife and I went, uh, we went up in the mountains and camped with the, with the kids and the dogs. And then, and then, you know, another umpire says, oh yeah, well, we went to, we took, uh, uh, you know, we went to the, with another couple to, uh, Opryland or whatever, you know, they had a fun time and they talk about it. There's, this is their part of their life and they're sharing it like any, uh, buddy does that works together or whatever. And, you know, Mike and I, that week, we took our dogs and we went to the coast and stayed a couple of days, but can I, can I tell them that, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it's like uh, you know you, you have to you have to be quiet you have to you, have to, you know I mean I, I might say oh yeah uh, Mike my you know at this point roommate is uh, is um, you know uh, you know we, t- we we did a day trip to the coast and ran the dogs a little bit or, or whatever but uh, you know you again you feel cheapened you feel you feel like you you are not quite uh, in the same you know same level as everybody else because you can't you can't express or talk like a like you know somebody that's that you love that's in your life and has been in your life for years, and and you really can't talk about it the way that the way that you should and, and would want to. It's just um, that's that's why you have pride nights and that's why you have pride parades and that's why you to, to say hey hey you know we're, we're proud of who we are and we you know yeah are we a, are we a minority or not everybody's this way you're right they're not but you know what we just want the, the same rights as everybody else. So in 2017, then you would retire from the game, obviously with concussions. Was it hard to walk away? Well, uh, yes and no. I, my plan had, uh, was to actually retire this year. This uh, this was going to be my last year. I, I turned 60 next month, and I was going to uh, work this being my last. So the 17, and then two seasons after that, 18 and 19. Uh, but even though going into that 17th season, I was going to have, you know, three seasons uh, or plan on working three seasons more. I, I was tired. I was ready. I, I you know, 30, 32 years at that point, 31 years, um, the grind of the travel, the grind of the, uh, you know, the, the games, I mean, the you know, brain delays and bean balls and, and lost luggage and, 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 and mechanicals and, and, uh, uh, you know, getting blamed for stuff that's not even in your control. I mean, it's one thing. Yeah, I, we we get it. You're going to blame us for calls or whatever. But you know, getting blamed for the weather. <laughs> I, um, I'm not that good. Um, but uh, you know, and, and, but but you know, more than anything, it's just the traveling. Just the, you know, baseball. You know, for all of baseball players also, but you know, it's a, it's a very mental game. You got to be focused and you have to be uh, focused from pitch one to, to the last one. And it, you get friends that say, Oh, you have third base tonight. You got the night off. Really? You, you think I got the night off? <laughs> uh, it won't feel like the night off when uh, maybe I don't have anything all night. And then I have the uh, fair foul that is going to determine the game or the catch, no catch or the play at third or whatever, you know? See, so, yeah, I mean, the point is you got to be ready always, even though it might be a kind of a, a, a quiet night suddenly you have that check swing that's going to change everything so you know mentally and then and then and then you know just there's it's two jobs it's the it's the job of baseball and then it's the job of traveling um you know people say that well you get four weeks off in the season my god you have all you have all off season what do you need four weeks for well i want to make sure the dog still knows me um you know the, the even if i lived for example in seattle i, I might get there at best, maybe nine games, maybe three series uh, all year. Um, you know, the, the Mariners are going to be there half their schedule. They're going to be there 81 games. 
they, they, you know, they have an apartment or a condo or whatever, and 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 they can settle in and, and know they're going to be there half the time. I, uh, yeah, again, I'm not. Com- this isn't complaint. It's just reality. And so, oh, yeah. And so you you you, uh, you know, we're we've become great travelers. It's, it's so funny when in the off seasons and, and now that I'm retired, uh, sometimes, you know, Mike and I will travel with friends to, you know, wherever, Hawaii or whatever. And everybody says, we love traveling with Dale because he knows what the hell he's doing. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, it's like they just all follow me and I got all the tickets. And I just take care of it because I mean, that's, that was part of the job. I mean, that's what I did, you know? Um, and, and you learn all the tricks and stuff. And, and after nine 11, it was just a whole, <laughs> yeah, just rehash everything. But, but I was just tired. I, I remember telling Mike before the 17 uh, spring training, I said, uh, I said, I'm just having trouble mentally, you know, getting up for the season. I, and, you know, and spring training is one of the most fun you're going to have all year. It's, it's uh, a great time to be in Phoenix or, 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 you know, Arizona or Florida. The, the games are almost all day games. You know, the, 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 uh, you're staying in one place for three or four weeks. It's just a fun time of the year. But, you know, I was just, I just was having trouble getting up for that. And I, I, I knew that, you know, Quite frankly, I felt like retiring that year, but I, you know, I, I, I just age-wise, I, I need to go a couple more years. But then I, we opened that season uh, uh, in replay, so we had the first week of the season we were in New York, uh, and then we went to Washington D.C. and had our first three games. Uh, the first game, of course, crew chief, I was behind the plate. Then we went to Toronto for a Thursday through Sunday series. Thursday, I was at first base. Uh, Friday, April 14th, I worked in the play, and I believe it was the eighth inning, it might have been the seventh inning. Pitch comes in, next thing you know, I'm on the ground. Um, and and my neck was hurting, and uh, uh, we, you know, you tell the staff that, and it's, you know, DEFCON 1. <laughs> you know, they're they're going to stabilize, and they're going to uh, do do all the protocol that they have to do. So I, I, I worked uh, 3,897 games, 103 games short of 4,000, which is a big, big number for umpires. There's, there's of all the umpires that work, there's only a only a few that worked 4,000 or more. And I would have got it that year, uh, mid September in San Francisco, but I end up leaving the final game of my 32 year career uh, uh, in a neck brace on a stretcher. Oh wow. <laughs> It's like, but then I tell my friends, well, you know, us gays, we like to make an exit. <laughs> so, uh, but, it, but it was, you know, I certainly did not want to leave on those terms. It was my fourth concussion. It was the second one in eight, in eight months. The whiplash was new. I hadn't had whiplash before. But it was more than that. It was, it was the realization that you're so close to retirement. I talked to a couple specialists. They don't have the data yet. They're just really not sure what long-term effects, if any, you may have. I did talk to Eddie Montague, who had a long National League umpire career, and then and now is a supervisor. But Eddie, uh, the way he worked, and, and and back then they they just didn't focus on concussions like they do now. Um, and and he called me about three days after I, I went down, and, and he said, Scotty, I I've seen all your concussions. I saw the one the other day. I watched it four times. He said make a deal with the league and get the hell off the field. He goes, I still have headaches. I still have memory issues. I still have my neck still hurts. He goes, he goes, he goes, you know, you've had a great career. You've had, you know, all-star game, world series. I mean, there's nothing left to prove. Get, get off with your health. And I, him more than anybody, uh, you know, I thought, yeah, he's right. You know, I mean, you, you don't, you don't work uh, all those years 
to finally uh, uh, retire and, and and have those you know issues and um, and and I just thought you know what I I'm too close I I I, I still it's like I play on house money and you know what I'm going to walk away from the table and uh, so we uh, we made a deal with the league and, and signed on June 1st of 2017 that I'd be on uh, medical leave absence the rest of that year and then I'd officially retire uh, January 1st of 18. Wow, <laughs> a long career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, a good way. I mean, man, I was blessed, and and, and uh, you know, I, I saw things. I was I was I was on the field for things. I, I had opportunities that uh, that again that that first day at Madison Junior High. If you would have said, you know, you're going to work 32 years in big leagues and three World Series and blah blah blah, I just said, man, I don't know what you're smoking, but it's good stuff because. That's not going to happen, you know. Um, so I, I have no regrets whatsoever, and uh, um, and now I'm, you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this retirement. <laughs> I bet. And my final question is this: um, one of the reasons why I do this podcast is for kids who, you know, are twelve or thirteen who went through the same thoughts I did as that a, at that age or you did. Um, so I want to help them. What is one thing you could tell that twelve or thirteen year old kid? Who might be coming to terms with their own sexuality? You know, there, there's the there's the uh, catchphrase or whatever you want to call it about it, it gets better, and, and I and I truly believe that. I would tell them that uh, sometimes uh, you may not understand what's happening. Uh, sometimes you you may um, be embarrassed at what's happening, or or that that you're not fitting in, or and a lot of this is internalized. It's not you're not talking about, it, but it's you know within yourself. But just know that uh, that you know you are important. You are you are if you're true to yourself and if you're true to to, to who you are. At some point, and it happened with me. At some point, I I, I just got to the point. I said, you know what? Um, if you got a problem with me uh, uh, being gay, that that's your problem because it's not mine. Um, I I like who I am. I like, uh, um, you know, the, the people I, I associate with. I like the people that I've, that I've met. And I would tell those uh, uh, young kids uh, that, that you too, it may not seem like right now, but but trust me, just be be true to yourself, be honest with yourself, and, and you're going to get through this, and you're going to come out stronger and better, and you're going to be um, uh, just, you're, you're, you're going to have gone through things that other people can't even imagine and it's going to make you a much better person Dale thank you so much for coming on this podcast and talking I've had a lot of fun good I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad there you have it folks there's my interview with Dale Scott I hope you had a good time listening and hearing his story come back next Tuesday when I'll have another guest talking about their life in sports take care